If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 6. We're in this series of messages called Faces, and we've been talking about what does it mean to live like Jesus. So many people in our culture today, they have lived for uh, superficial things. Can I make more money? Can I get a bigger size french fries? Can I get a more flavorful coffee? Can I have more stuff? And there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff in life, but I think many of us are beginning to realize that uh, the collection of things does not really bring happiness. You're not going to find that deep-seated sense of joy simply by pursuing these things that are here today and disappear tomorrow. That life is not really lived in a hyper-social isolationism, that life is lived when we are connected to others. And so as we've been looking at the life of Jesus, one of the things that we've noticed is that the people he encountered were not merely empty faces, but these people that Jesus encountered, he knew that they had families and stories and needs, and he would meet them and get to know them and minister to them. And the same opportunity is available to us in our lives as we get beyond just a selfishness, a self-focused lifestyle, and we start thinking, uh, as blessed as I am, what are the opportunities for God to overflow in my life? Who are the people that I can reach out to? How can I make a difference in my neighborhood, in my school, at my place of business, at the hospital where I work? How can I make a difference and impact those faces around me? Well, a couple of months ago, I was sitting with our students at camp. And it had been a typical Texas summer day, about 100 degrees outside. And while we were eating dinner, a squall, a storm, rolled in. And there was just a tremendous amount of rain that came out of nowhere. John Fletcher got this shot of the rain coming off the roofs. And it was so refreshing to experience that rain in the middle of a hot Texas summer. And What did we do whenever it began raining like that? Well, we did what modern Americans do whenever they're sitting indoors in the middle of a big rain. We pulled out our phones and checked the radar. And what what humored me uh, was the fact that we actually began referring to rain in terms of color. Oh, oh, that was blue rain. Oh, this is green rain. Oh, look out, there's some orange rain on the way. Now, all the rain looks alike, but we just refer to it by the color that it is on on the radar graph, the Doppler radar graph. And so when red rain, when a Doppler red storm comes your way, that's when it's time to run for cover. You better look out because here comes the heavy rain. Well, the disciples were caught out in one of the worst places to be in the middle of a Doppler red storm. They were out in a small boat in the middle of a big lake at night when a Doppler red storm rolled in. The Bible picks up the story in verse 16 of John chapter 6. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, it's nighttime. Jesus had just finished the great miracle that we call the feeding of the 5,000. We looked at that last week. Jesus is probably still ministering to the people. The disciples, they decide to get a head start. They go down to their boat. They get on what the Bible calls the sea. It's actually a big lake, the Sea of Galilee. 
they get into this boat and they go over to the little village of Capernaum where much of Jesus' ministry took place. Most of the disciples had grown up on the Sea of Galilee. Many of them were commercial fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew every nook, every cranny within the Sea of Galilee. By the way, if you know what the word cranny means, explain that to me one of these days. But they knew every nook, every cranny on the Sea of Galilee. It's dark. They're on their boats, but they're confident because they're headed to a place that they are very, very familiar with. Now, the disciples are on a high right now. Everything in their life is going really well. Do you remember the last time in your life where you found yourself on one of life's mountaintops? Things were going well. Maybe it was whenever you got married, your wedding day. Things were so special that day. Maybe it was the day that that little boy or that little girl was born. And you held that little baby in your arms and you thought, man, the world is great right now. Maybe it was whenever your boss came in and said, hey, you got a big raise. Or maybe it was whenever the boss came in and said, you've been hired. Maybe it was whenever you bought that new house or that new car and you were, ah, it smells so good. Life is great. Maybe it was whenever you graduated from high school, graduated from college. Perhaps it was whenever your team won the championship. Some of you Cowboy fans remember the last championship that we won. It was a long time ago, and I realize that most of you weren't even born then, but you remember the high whenever we won the championship and we held the trophy, or at least they held the trophy above their head, and said, we are the champions, and how, how you felt at that moment. Well, the disciples were there. Jesus just fed 5,000. The masses were coming to Jesus. Thousands following him on Twitter. And these men had invested so much in Jesus, they had left their homes, in some cases left their businesses, to follow Jesus. And now it was like everything was coming together. Their dream of him being the Messiah, their dream of him being the people's leader, it was turning into reality. They were on the mountaintop. Now, we must remember that whenever we sit on the mountaintops of life, we are often surrounded by the canyons of life. It's a beautiful scene. The moonlight flickering across the water, the starry sky, no pollution in the air, the sailboats gliding across the Sea of Galilee. I would imagine the disciples were laughing and talking about the great day that they had had, how Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember, each of the disciples got a take-home box from the feeding of the 5,000. So they're probably sitting on the boat, eating the leftovers from the feeding of the 5,000, laughing about something that Peter said or Peter did, just having a good time. Well, then verse 18 says, A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. Out of nowhere came a storm. So the disciples out on the sea. The Sea of Galilee is kind of like a bowl. It's, it's surrounded by these big hills. And so when the clouds slam into the hills, it creates a very erratic weather pattern. And, and sometimes the storms just come 
out of nowhere. And so I can imagine them out in the boat, and suddenly they hear the, the thunder. Probably look at each other and go, hey, was that thunder? Look off in the sky, and they see the flash of lightning. They're like, ooh, it's lightning. The wind starts picking up. Hey, let's get out our waterproof clothing. Before long, a few drops begin to fall. Hey, if we row real hard, maybe we can get to shore in time. And then the sky opens up. I mean, a massive storm falls down upon them. Now remember, these guys, by and large, were commercial fishermen. These were rough, tough, deadliest catch kind of fishermen. These guys had seen it all. They had grown up on this lake, and they were fearful. Verse 19 says that they were rowing for their lives. They were hoping to get to shore in time, that they rowed for about three to four miles. Now, on a troubled sea, that is probably at least an hour, more than likely two to three hours of the rain coming down. They are rowing with all their might, hoping to survive. Uh, With each hour that passes, they get more and more tired as they just try to survive this storm. If you've ever been to the gym and tried the rowing machine, all right, 30 minutes of it's a pretty good workout. Three hours of it with the sky falling down upon you, you're exhausted at that point. Well, the scriptures say that after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And he was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Now, I can picture these disciples. They have been rowing, they are tired, the rain is falling, and then out in the distance they see somebody, something on the water. And Peter probably tries to wipe the eyes, wipe the water from his eyes, and looks again and says, Hey, Andrew, do you see that? Andrew goes, yeah, I think I see it. Philip goes, yeah, there's definitely something there. John goes, it's coming towards us. He was, he was younger than the other guys, you know, so he was a teenager. So, so they're, they're out there. They're seeing this thing out on the water, and, and it's coming to the boat. Now, if you're out in the middle of a lake rowing in the storm trying to survive, and suddenly something is walking towards you, That's a terrifying experience. So they're like, here comes the Grim Reaper. We're all going to go down. This is death coming towards us. They're scared to death. And so Jesus, as he gets close, he says, it is I. And then another word, another statement. Don't be afraid. Hey, I know you're rowing hard. I know you're struggling. I know you're a little afraid right now. But don't be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. I'm I'm here for you. Now, question. In your life right now, what storms are you facing? What are the storms in your life? Life is always willing willing to offer you a variety pack full of storms. I mean, life has more storms than Baskin-Robbins has flavors. There are tons of storms in life. And some of the storms that we face in life 
are self-induced. Sometimes we bring storms into our own lives because of the decisions that we make, because of the paths that we go down. This year in our family, we welcomed Bennett into the world. My son is now six months old. Can you believe that Bennett is already six months old? He turned six months this, this week. And so uh, when Stacy got pregnant with Bennett, uh, I was actually in some of the best shape of my life. I'd been working out. I'd been trying to watch what I eat. And so I, I was feeling pretty good about my physical conditioning. But then we go through the, the pregnancy, and then you go through those first six months where you're not sleeping very well, and everything's kind of disrupted, and you're trying to get used to your new normal. And so I'm ashamed to say I put on a little baby weight, okay? I, I've got about 8, 10 pounds that I, I need to get rid of before the holiday season uh, hits. And so a couple of months ago, I, I started gathering my uh, Rocky DVDs and listening to that and getting the eye of the tiger out. And I decided I'm going to get back in shape. And so what I tried to do is I tried to start where I left off. Okay. You know, I was doing this. Let let me see how the big the fall off is. So I'll do what I was doing before and then see just how much I've lost. Well, that was a big mistake. Okay. The workout actually went pretty well. I I went home. I said, hey, I'm doing okay here. But then Then there was the recovery. I mean, my back started hurting. My muscles started hurting. I'm still struggling to get back into proper physical condition. Now, I don't have anybody to blame for this but me. It's not your fault. It's not Stacy's fault. I would be mean to blame baby Bennett. That wouldn't be right. The only person for me to blame is me. I was the one who ate too many Whataburger taquitos. I was the one who overdid and worked too hard too quickly. And many times in life, storms come across our path because of decisions that we've made. And in our culture, it's very easy to blame everybody else and to never accept responsibility for our decisions. Sometimes we decide things, we make decisions, we go down paths, and we find ourselves in a storm that's self-induced. Now, to be fair, some storms are others-induced. People make decisions, and those decisions affect you. Some of us in this room here, we had horrible childhoods. People around you, adults around you, made decisions that impacted you as a child. You can't pick your parents. Your childhood, in many ways, is handed to you. And so maybe you had some people do some things to you that were horrible. You've gone through some difficult circumstances. You've had others sin, and that has impacted you, and you've gone through storms that are others-induced. We would also do well to remember that life is never lived on an island. Even if you consider yourself the king of introverts and you feel like you don't need people and you don't need relationships, your life is never lived on an island. The decisions that you make impact others. 
And the big decisions that you make, they normally impact the people that you love the most. And whenever you disobey God, whenever you start macheting your own path in life and playing the role of God in your life, it's going to hurt and impact the people around you in ways that you never can imagine. And in your sin, you're going to bring storms into people's lives and you're going to hurt people. Many a times, the people that you love the most, you will hurt. Some storms are others-induced. Some storms are actually God-induced, and this may surprise you, but throughout Scripture you see this, that God would bring storms into people's lives or allow storms into people's lives. I think of King David running for his life from Saul. I think of uh, Job and the trials that he went through. I think of Jesus. Was Jesus in God's will when he faced the cross? Yeah. The cross was God's will for Jesus' life. That was a hard day, yet he was in the center of God's will. It is in that storm that often God grows us the most, and sometimes God puts us through a difficult spell of life because he wants to grow something within us. He wants us to learn to honor God, not just in the blessings, but to honor God through the difficult moments as well. Sometimes storms in life are just because you're part of the natural order. That's where it was with our story here. Nobody had sinned. A storm blew in. A storm came. It was just part of nature. The clouds formed a storm, and and here they found themselves in a life-threatening situation. Well, verse 21 continues the the story. It says, Then they were willing to take him on board. Now, the wording there is interesting to me. They were willing to take him on board because in the previous verse, they were afraid and Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. So it almost sounds like there was a discussion. Should we take Jesus on board or not? Is this really Jesus? Is he really going to help us? I mean, we're in a storm, we're in trouble. Do we need to take more weight on board? It sounds like there was some dialogue that took place, and they came to the conclusion, yeah, uh, let's take Jesus on board. Now, notice what happened when Jesus came on board, and at once the boat was at shore where they were heading. When Jesus came on board, that's when peace was found. When Jesus came on board, that's when they reached the destination that they were so desperately seeking to arrive upon it. Now, four observations from the story. Observation number one, the disciples were living right when the storm struck. The disciples weren't in sin when the storm struck. They were hanging out with the Son of God. They were helping the people uh, with the feeding of the 5,000. They were living right. They had left their homes behind and they were following God. They were doing the right thing, and yet storms still struck them. You see, sometimes as believers, we foolishly think, if I just do the right things in life, there will be no problems. If I just treat people right, everybody will like me. If I just explain it enough, everybody will understand. If I just follow God, then my life will be problem-free. But following God does not exempt you from storms. There will always be difficulty. There will always be adversity. 
mature Christians begin to look for the opportunities in the middle of the adversity. As God has put me in the middle of a storm or allowed a storm to come into my life, what are the opportunities here that I can make much of God in the middle of this difficult circumstances? In fact, as you look back over your life, generally the most, the most impactful times of growth occur during those moments of struggle, during those difficult times where, where it's raining, where you're pushing, where you're, you're really struggling to keep going. It's during those times that God often grows us up matures us, and shows us new perspectives that we may have never considered before. Secondly, Jesus allowed the disciples to work to exhaustion before he showed up. Now, could not have Jesus intervened in the story much earlier? Absolutely. Instead, though, he, worked till, he let them work till exhaustion before he intervened. When I was in high school, I used to run track. I ran track all four years of high school. And our coach, Coach Mark, he would put us through some of the most rigorous workouts known to man. I still cringe thinking about some of those workouts. And he had a little saying. He would say, hey, fellas, he always talked like that. Hey, fellas, hey, I know you're tired, but hey, don't worry. You'll pass out before you die. I mean, he was so encouraging, wasn't he? He's like, hey, don't worry, guys. Your body will shut. It's, and he was a scientist, so he'd go into this chemical explanation. Before you die, your body will trigger its pass-out mechanism, and you'll fall beside the road, and I'll be there to pick you up. So don't worry. You're not going to die. You'll pass out first. Well, Jesus knew these guys were experts. He needed them to expend all of their energy and all their knowledge. He needed them to reach that point where they were at the end of their rope, where they had tried every trick that they had ever been taught by their grandpa on the Sea of Galilee, where they had expended all the energy that they had so that they would be dependent upon him. And he waited till that perfect moment to intervene and rescue them. Now, wouldn't it have been foolish for the disciples to have not used their knowledge. Wouldn't it have been foolish for the disciples to have not used their energy? There's always some mystics in the room in Christianity. And, and they'll say, well, uh, the problem here was that the disciples were working too hard. What they really needed to do was just sit and, and wait on God because God was going to take care of the situation. Now, listen, I, I, I understand sovereignty of God. I lean on the sovereignty of God, and I think that we need to embrace that wholeheartedly, that God is indeed sovereign, but also understand that the sovereignty of God is not an excuse for you or me to be lazy. The sovereignty of God does not mean that we don't share the gospel with the world around us. The sovereignty of God does not mean that we don't care about the community, that we don't do what God has called us to do and be obedient in our life and even exercise some common sense wisdom along the way. There is a certain sovereign synergy that takes place whenever you in your humanity work to your fullness and you allow God to ultimately be in charge of the ship. And yet sometimes... Uh, usually well-meaning, 
we, we say, well, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to let God do his thing. And, and it, you know, the, the single guy says, if God wants me to have a wife, then he'll bring me a girl. Well, that may be true. God can certainly do that. But it would help if you took a shower, okay? It, it would help if you quit playing video games 20 hours a week or 20 hours a day <laughs> and got a job and quit thinking you're macho because you can kill a guy on a TV screen with a button. Okay, that doesn't make you strong. It makes you have a strong thumb. That's about it, okay? You know, I mean, get out there and be a man. I hear the guy say, well, you know, if God wants me to stop drinking, then he'll just take away my desire. I drink too much, and if he wants me to stop drinking, he'll just take away my, my tendency towards alcoholism. Well, that may be true, but it would really help if you quit hanging out in the bars, okay? You say, well, if God wants me to retire one day, he's going to just make it happen. God will take care of that, and I'll have plenty. Well, that may be true. God may provide in a way that you've never imagined, and it may, he, he certainly can take care of you, but why don't you start by getting disciplined in your finances? Why don't you start by saying, uh, we're going to give, save, live. We're going to give a tenth to God. We're going to save a tenth for the retirement or for unforeseen circumstances. And we're going to learn to live within our means on, on the 80% that we have. We're going to make give, save, live a principle within our marriage, within our family, and, and we're going to be disciplined in our finances. You see, until you get disciplined in your finances, you'll never have enough money. It doesn't matter how many raises you get. It doesn't matter how many promotions you get. You'll never have enough money until you get disciplined in your finances and say, all right, we've got to get a handle on this. Let's give, save, live, and then we're going to trust God to take care of us in this. Sovereign synergy. Third observation. Even though the disciples had fears and doubts, they placed their faith in Christ. Right? Fear and doubt are natural human emotions. We all have fears. We all have doubts. Question for you. What is the opposite of faith? The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Sometimes people think, well, if I have doubts, that means I don't have faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. You see, in faith, I am trusting God and I am placing myself in his care. I'm believing that he is God. Now, unbelief says, I no longer believe that God is sovereign. I don't believe that he's in control. I don't believe that he's taking care of me, that he loves me. I'm going to play the role of God. I'm going to choose not to believe in God, to only believe in myself. Now, as Christians, there are times that we are scared in life. There are times that we have doubts in life. But you have to push through those fears and those doubts and say, you know what, even though I don't understand everything, I'm still going to choose to believe in God. That's living with faith. Listen, there's some things in my life right now I don't understand. My sister is, is a young woman, and, and she is in a battle for her life right now, uh, going through a, a bout with pneumonia. 
I, I don't understand why that's happening to my sister. It's been going on for two, three months now. I don't understand why my dad nearly passed away from an a intestinal issue a, a couple of, on Labor Day. I don't understand why he's now recovering from surgery and still facing uh, other issues in his health in the coming months. I don't understand why that's going on. There's a lot of things as I look back over my life that I don't completely understand. I've gone to seminary. I've received a doctorate in ministry, and I don't understand everything there is to understand about theology. We all have fears. We all have doubts. But I have to decide, am I going to let my fears and my doubts push me to unbelief, or in my fears and doubts, am I going to have faith? Even though I don't understand everything, even though I can't see everything, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust him and give him my life. The disciples were tired. They were afraid. They could hardly recognize Jesus. But they made a decision. Let him in the boat. Let's bring him on board. Let's let him take care of the matter. And even though they were running low on faith, they placed what they had in God. And that's the great theme of the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking of the water story. They took what little they had and they placed it in God. Five barley loaves and two fish, what are these for so many? Take that and place it in God's care. I just don't see how this, take what you have and place it in God's care. Is that Jesus walking on the water? I don't know. Is that really him? Should we trust him? Should we let him here? Take what you have. And place your faith in God. The fourth observation is this, and then I'll be through. Jesus took care of them. Jesus took care of them. You know, a lot of us in this room are going through storms today. There's some difficult things going on. You may be going through a marital storm right now. You're not sure if you're going to see the next anniversary. You're not sure if you're going to let your husband live. Strangle them sometimes. Going through a marital storm. It's difficult right now. Will you make it? Maybe you're going through a health storm. You've gotten a bad report. Your body hurts all the time. You're stressed out. You feel like there's just pressure on your shoulders and someone just pushing you down all the time. You're depressed. You're in a canyon and it just feels like you can't get out of it. Going through a health issue with somebody that you love dearly. And you find yourself in that health storm. Maybe it's an occupational storm. Will I have a job next month? Will I get that new job? It's so difficult working for that boss. I've got to go to work tomorrow. An occupational storm. And it just consumes your thoughts sometimes. Maybe you're going through a spiritual storm. And you remember those days whenever God just seemed so close and it just seemed like the Spirit was alive within you and you were growing in Christ and maturing and everything was clicking. You remember those days where you were sitting in the sailboat with the moonlight flickering across the lake, gliding across, enjoying good times, and now it just feels like everything's dry. And you reach out and you say, God, where are you? I need you. 
God's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And even in the storm, he wants to be in the boat with you. I think it's interesting that Jesus pursued the disciples. He came to them. He wanted to take care of them. He wanted to be in the boat with them. Jesus wasn't going to let them drown. He's the Son of God. That wasn't how the story was supposed to end. Can you imagine that? Jesus goes back to heaven, talks to the angel Gabriel. Well, Jesus, what are you doing back so early? It seems like you just left 30 years ago. Why are you here? Well, it went well. I mean, I was born of a virgin. The shepherds were there. The wise men were there. I grew up. I never sinned. Began my earthly ministry, called the 12 disciples around me. I was healing the blind, turning water into wine. I was feeding 5,000, walking on water. It was incredible. And then there was the storm that came up on the Sea of Galilee, and we all drowned. Humanity's doomed, you know. And that wasn't how the story was going to end. Jesus was the Son of God who came to die on the cross for our sins. God was going to take care of the disciples. He had plans for them. And God is going to take care of you as well. Now, be careful on this as a Christian to never lose sight of heaven. When you lose sight of heaven, it's very difficult to find peace, particularly in life-threatening storms, because we start thinking that this is all that there is. The doctrine of heaven is probably one of the most underdeveloped, underpreached doctrines in all of Christianity, because it is in that doctrine that we find strength and peace to deal with tribulation. It's in that doctrine that we find strength and peace to deal with hardships. When we are young in faith, we surrender our heart to God. We say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I surrender my heart to you and ask you to live within me. But as we mature in faith, we surrender our circumstances to God. We give him the circumstances of our life and we say lord i want you to be lord of all god cares about you he loves you he loves you more than you could ever imagine as a dad of three little ones i often try to find dads who are a little further down the path than i and ask them hey what's the best advice you can give me and i never will forget one dad told me he said let your children know that they are madly loved by their father. Let those kids know that dad loves them, that dad cares, that they are madly loved by their father. And I want you to know this morning, if you're God's child, you are madly loved by your heavenly father. He cares. He's not going to let you drown. He's there with you. Let him be in the boat. Let him guide. Let him direct. Relax. Relax a bit. It's going to be okay. Keep doing the right thing. Don't stop doing the right thing. But there's no reason to be terrorized. There's no reason to quit. There's no reason to jump overboard. To throw up your hands and say, I can't do it anymore. God is there with you. He loves you. You don't have to play the God role. Take a deep breath. Let Him be God. He's in the boat. And He loves you. He cares about you. You do the right thing. 
Let him direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. You say, but Lash, what if I die? Heaven's in your future. It's going to be okay. There's some people there that you probably want to see, too. It's going to be okay. Keep doing the right thing. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And He's there with you. Would you stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? If today needs to be your day of salvation, if there's never been that time in your life where you've taken that first step of faith, I invite you during this commitment song to come and pray with me. And today you can begin a walk as a follower of Christ. For others, this needs to be a time where you give your, you place your faith in God anew. Maybe you find yourself in a storm right now. You find yourself rowing for your life. You find yourself afraid. You find yourself with doubts, with questions. Which way are you going to move? Are you going to move to faith? Or are you going to move to unbelief? Perhaps you've doubted along the way. Does God care? Does God love me? And this morning you need to Open your heart again to God and receive His love. Just realize how much the Heavenly Father loves you, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loves the world so much that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him does not perish, but has everlasting life. God desires for you to delight in Him. God desires for your life to have joy and meaning. God desires for you to grow through the storms. To be able to reach out to others and minister to others at their point of need. He desires for your life to have impact. Oh, are you delighting in God today? Lord, I thank you. Thank you that in you there are so many things for us to take delight in. I thank you for life. I thank you for a crisp morning air. I thank you, Father, for little ones. Thank you, Father, for food to eat, for clothes to wear. Thank you, Lord, for a church family to be a part of, for friendships to enjoy. I thank you for the love of a godly woman. I thank you, Father, for the gift of music through which we can praise you and make much of you. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, even in the storms. In Jesus' name, amen.